Beth. And I'm Jamie. Welcome to Driver Picks the Podcast. Where I pick the podcast. And I shut my cake hole. <laughs> Today we are going to be discussing the 20th episode of the fifth season of Supernatural titled The Devil You Know. Jamie, what did you think? Okay, first of all, I want to justify that and I shut my cake hole. I was trying to be inspired by Crowley because he is an icon <laughs> in this episode. And um, excuse didn't... you, he is an icon Full stop. There is no caveat of this episode. He is just an icon. <laughs> Continue. My tribute to him did not work. <laughs> Our most sincere apologies to Mark Shepard. Whatever affront that was, I am so sorry. Okay, here's the thing. I just want to start with a quick moment of silence for Zaki Boy. We got them blowing up a spotlight in this episode. I, I thought Rip you would mention this. To Zaki Boy. Gone but not forgotten. <laughs> I also just want to say this episode was bringing up all of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Like, because we have the blood chalice moment. Uh-huh. Full Meg flashbacks. I know. Like, I, I was like, damn, we haven't seen the blood cup in a hot minute. Like, we've got Meg blood cup, but it's getting done by Brady, which, side note, I don't know who the fuck that is. Yeah. <laughs> they framed it like, I. this should have been, like, revolutionary and for, like, I should have known who this was and I should have had a sense of, like, foreboding before they took him to Sam. I did not know. <laughs> My two immediate notes about Brady was number one, he has the Ned former haircut, <laughs> which should have been the first red flag. <laughs> Second of all, Brady is so interesting because like the concept is great. Like I mm-hmm. love that they, this is actually a Jamie, and I get, a Jamie psychic thing. I get Jamie prediction points for you this one. You do because, you know, we get this introduction to this character that's, he self-described as Sam's best friend yeah. through Fairford. college. And yeah. side note, I don't know what the fuck sophomore year means. I assume early. <laughs> like, I, I guess, you know, context clues suggest the first couple of years somewhere there. I don't know. We just call it first year uni or yeah. second year uni. Or <laughs> we use third numbers. <laughs> year uni, which is really intuitive for me because I know how to count. Unlike someone else in this I room. was going to say, I don't know how to count, but I will still say one, two, three, four is way more sense than whatever the fuck Americans are doing with their naming conventions for uni years and high school years. Honestly, guys, what was wrong with numbers? Anyway, so, oh my God, actually, side note, I was watching The Good Place and I realized that fucking scene where Chidi is having the fucking chili meltdown mm. speech because I was recently yeah, editing, uh-huh, I was recently editing <laughs> one of our other episodes and we mentioned that scene and I was like, oh my God. I always forget that they're supposed to be in Australia. That scene has an Australian inconsistency. Mm-hmm. He's talking about letter grades at university and he's using the A, B, C, D, E, F metric. We don't use that in Australian universities. If you get a C at a university level in Australia, that's above, that's good. C's get degrees. Well, the thing is, P's get degrees. P's Jay. get degrees. <laughs> P's get degrees. Like, that's the thing that we say. Because we don't have fucking A's at university. We, we have, have high dis- We have high distinctions. Mm-hmm. I was like, damn, they should have done their motherfucking research. Also, another inconsistency that you cannot buy peeps in Australia. Yes. Also that. The whole thing about the peep chili, I was like, damn, where'd he go? Cheap as chips? You that's- can't get peeps at cheap as chips. I think you can get peeps. In some places, but it's like discount stores. Like, that's why I said cheapest chips. Because I'm okay. sure I've seen them somewhere. I know you can get them from, like, import candy stores. Well, it's like you used to only be able to get, like, Pop-Tarts from, mm-hmm. like, the reject shop or yeah. cheapest chips or whatever. Anyway, this is so unimportant. <laughs> this is not even about the right shit. <laughs> and in an episode where there's so much to talk about. 
But no, the whole Brady thing, like, here's the thing. Oh my God, I didn't I... even finish my point about Brady. I'm so sorry. Can I interrupt? Go I'm ahead. I'm so sorry. I haven't even taken a sip of the coffee you brought me this morning. What I kind of wish they had done with Brady, because I do love that we get the information that he was like a longtime friend of Sam's. We also get the information that he introduced Sam to Jess, which is just like, oh. We get the information that he then later killed Jess, which is like, oh, they bring up the cookies, which is like, oh my God, the cookies. But what I kind of wish they had done is just bring back the actor who played Sam and Jess's friend in the pilot at the Halloween party. Like, then there was actually going to be a chance of me recognizing the implications of it being this dude. Can you imagine going back and watching the pilot and seeing that motherfucker? It would be like Jenny the Vampire. Exactly. The season five equivalent. (laughs) Like, genuinely. I was like, okay, I love this take. Mm -hmm. I love this concept. But guys, the missed opportunity here. I kind of wish that it had been Jess who was possessed, though, and not the best friend. Because, like, I think it's more painful if it's Jess. Because then the demon who possessed Jess has the potential to come back and, like, taunt Sam about it. Like, you've caused all of this fucking destruction in my name. I wasn't even fucking dead. You just wanted to do this. It's innate to you. It's not just the demon blood. Oh, okay. Well, there's a lot to talk about with Sam this episode, which, by the way, the fact that Bobby calls him... What was it? He's like, you're not exactly Mr. Anger Management. I was like, Bobby, I'm obsessed. (laughs) But yes, there's a lot to say about Sam this episode. But I'm going to let you finish talking about Brady because I've interrupted you, I think, four times already. (laughs) I'm sorry. I wish that it had been someone that we would have recognized or maybe that we'd gotten even just at the start of the season or something like Dark Side of the Moon. We could have had a fucking mention of Brady in Dark Side of the Moon. Easy. So then when he comes back here, it would have fucking meant something. I love the concept. Mm -hmm. I just wish that it had actually been something where the audience could have, like... Been suspicious of Brady or, like, have at least heard of Brady. You actually mentioned just before we started recording, we were trying to figure out if Brady had ever been mentioned before. I did look it up and SuperWiki doesn't seem to have anything outside of this episode. So we're going to take that as a no. not, yeah. But we did discuss, like, maybe he was, like, in a list of Sam's contacts or something. You know, like, in Skin, you mentioned. Obviously, we get a bit of information. Maybe he's mentioned briefly somewhere there. But I still think it would have been so good to have that actor from the pilot come back. I think that would have been impeccable. And, like, maybe he wasn't available or, like, maybe they tried or whatever. But I guess we'll never know. I 100% agree. I just wish it was someone that we'd seen somewhere before. So that you could see the face and be like, hang on, where do I know? Yeah. Like, so you just had that, like, a little bit of inkling. I love the concept, as I said, a bunch. But, like, it doesn't feel like the sort of thing where you could be like... Oh, I think Brady was suspicious. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it just doesn't set off the, like, alarm bells in your brain like it should. It kind of just falls a little short because we've never heard the word, like... Sam's never mentioned Brady. Sam's never mentioned Brady. Literally any offhanded mention in the yeah. a couple of episodes before, and then if they'd introduced him in the like boardroom scene, and like someone slipped up and called him like oh Brady, and then he was like no no, no my name is like yeah. Mister da 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 da, then it would be like you could start to be like oh Brady Brady like where have I where have I heard Brady recently, where, and it would have just been more it could have had more emotional resonance yeah yeah what is interesting is like you you've mentioned if he'd like been brought up in like Dark Side of the Moon. First of all, I think that makes total sense and I agree with you. But what is interesting is that 
that's a Darwin Laughlin episode. Ben Edlund is not a writer that we have seen cohesively tied to any Darwin Laughlin no. episodes. And so, like, I think... <laughs> he just fell on the wrong side of the writer's table? You know, we've talked about the fractions in the writer's yeah. room, and it is a joke. I want to stress, but it is interesting looking at which narrative threads are connected between various writers that are left out of other writers' plots. Because like, unlike other TV shows and media where it's like, oh, well, it doesn't really, like, you can't really track it. You can't be like, oh, no, this is a plot thread used specifically by these two writers. Supernatural can. Supernatural is explicit. But what is interesting is it is a Ben Edlund episode this, this week. <laughs> I, as we know, it's been well established, I'm a fucker for Ben Edlund episodes. I love them. Did Ben Edlund also write Abandon All Hope? He did. So he's Crowley. Crowley. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I was just going to gonna lead yeah. into. So it is not shocking to me that we didn't get particular references to Brady in other episodes mm. because this is a Crowley episode written by Ben Edlund. So theoretically, if we were going to have heard of something that to do with this plot, because obviously this would have been brainstormed earlier Sarah than this have point. Put it in faith. You're so right. Sam should have just gotten off a call, been like, oh, so sorry, Dean, just catching up with Brady. <laughs> but I think that if Brady was going to be brought up at any point in this season as prep for this episode, mm-hmm. it would have been in a Ben Endland episode or one of the other writers that we have kind of been able to see the narrative threads tying their episodes together. We can tell they they actively collaborate rather than just passively yeah. write for the same show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's so funny that we're able to talk about this like now because there are definitely writing pairs and things later series where it's like abundantly clear that this writing duo was writing something entirely different from everyone else. Everyone else put them in quarantine. Kind like, of, their yeah. episodes are surrounded by buffer that's just undoing whatever the fuck they tried Genuinely, to do. Genuinely. Like we have instances of them introducing this like major villain and then like the next episode someone like X nays it like, yeah nah, we're not doing that. <laughs> it is really, really interesting, but like we said, massive caveats, total speculation. Yeah. This is a silly podcast run by people who have no personal connection to anyone actually involved. <laughs> I digress. It's a Ben Etland episode. It's a Crowley episode. I already knew that I was going to like Crowley because I've seen Leverage. I've seen Mark Shepard as Sterling. Yeah. And you've told me the similarities are uncanny. And they are. The only difference is Crowley does not hesitate to call people maggot. <laughs> like that's the only difference. You're so correct in that assessment. They're the same picture otherwise. Like mm-hmm. This is why... A lot of fic will, like, if it's, like, a supernatural leverage sort of crossover, like, he just fits seamlessly. Crowley's just pretending to be Sterling. Yeah, there is a theory that the supernatural and leverage universes are actually the same universe, and you just have Crowley, his alias is just James Sterling. (laughs) Anyway, Sterling is an icon, and I would like to thank Ben Edlund personally for bringing us- Do you mean Crowley? Yeah. But this is the same person, so it doesn't matter. He's just an icon. The choices he makes in this episode, fucking chaos embodied. I love Crowley so, so much, and I have so many thoughts about it. He just has some choice moments this episode. I just want to recap some of them. He's really pissy because they blew up his house and killed his tailor. They ate his tailor. Ate his tailor. Specifically. <laughs> I mean, I, I too would be pissed. That's valid. He mm-hmm. describes it as our first date. I know. <laughs> which, if D not by Y. I have notes on this later. 
My personal favourite moment, I think, for Crowley in this episode is when Dean and Crowley are sitting in the Impala outside of the building and Dean's looking through the binoculars and he makes the point like, oh, are they demons? And Crowley's like, oh, no, they're just human meat shields. And then Dean's like, oh, okay, we'll sneak in the back. Crowley's like, why do you make things so difficult? And just goes in there and fully kills them. But he like waves at Dean before he does it. And poor Dean is just like in shock. This is that entire sequence. When Crowley disappears from the Impala to when he gets out of the elevator on the 12th floor, Dean is just in shock. (laughs) And Jensen plays it so well. It's such a delight watching Jensen and Mark, Mm -hmm. actually. They have such a good back and forth energy. It's, It's a delight to watch. Also, he can't sit on chairs properly. I literally just have a note that is Crowley's the gay icon we needed. He's like, oh yeah, no... All of the demons will 100% believe if I describe how we're gay lovers. Oh my god. And everyone's like, yeah, that's valid. I have a fucking note about that. Okay, so first of all, I love that he says, have a little massacre, as if that's just something you do on a Tuesday morning with the girls, you know? Like, it's so funny. Oh my god, Crowley would be so good at brunch. You're right. Imagine the drama he could spill. Yes. Oh Oh my god. Oh my god. Brunch with Crowley would be so fucking funny. God, I wish, especially... Do you know what? Spoilers. Never mind. (laughs) What I will say for those listening at home is Brunch with Crowley post the first like three, four episodes of season 10. (laughs) Now that would be some hot tea. But (laughs) anyway, moving right along. What I did really like is that they had this little touch of like tiny little blood flecks on like one side of his face and like tears in his suit so like you can see that he was obviously in a scuffle yeah but it was like nice and subtle yeah it was like almost delicate and i kind of love that like he got into a fight and he made it style you know that's why they're so he's so mad that they ate his tailor yes because he had so many suits ruined this episode i know it's so rude and now he has no one to fix them Mm -hmm. that is a tragedy i know poor crowley honestly can we ditch following the Winchesters and just follow Crowley. I love your take on just ditching the Winchesters and which character Supernatural should actually be about because I do think it's hilarious. Here's the thing though. And I agree with you. You cannot disagree. The show would be better if it followed, if it was just about Crowley. I'm not going to say that I agree with you entirely because I there is still you love fondness. Yeah. To be fair, if it was a show about Crowley, Dean would still be in it. Yeah. Sam, however, Sam. may be missing... <laughs> I, I want to see the gay panic that will ensue when Crowley and Cass meet. I, because Crowley does not hesitate to fully flirt with Dean. You have no idea. <laughs> the way that those two hate each other is so specifically funny. There's like, there's a post that uh, goes around on Tumblr and it's like this concept where Dean is entirely oblivious to both Cass and Crowley being in love with him. Mm. But Cass and Crowley are in a fight and what Cass doesn't realize is that he has no reason to be fighting Crowley <laughs> like and Crowley also knows this Crowley's just doing it because it's fun Crowley knows that Cass doesn't know that he has no reason to fight yeah so Crowley's gonna fight to piss him off and Dean is just blissfully unaware of everything it's so funny anyway my point is <laughs> And I so love that you bring up the Cass Crowley potential dynamic there. Because when Crowley says, love is in league against Satan, I was like, that's the new ship name for the trio that is Dean Cass Crowley. And no one can change my mind. (laughs) 
that's my child now. <laughs> to be fair, I don't really ship it. No. I just think that that is the best name for that ship. Previously, I think the best ship name for all of Supernatural was Destiny because it is just such a good, like the word Destiny in and of itself is just very good. But I think this is my new favorite. Especially considering that nothing about this is Destiny. Exactly. I <laughs> what can think- I say? I get you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We need to move on from Crowley because I have realized I have a pattern. Mm. If I have an episode with Meg, Zacky Boy, or Crowley, I'm like, the first 30 minutes of the episode, roughly, are just going to be me being like, oh, I love these. I don't give a shit about anything else. These characters are the only ones I care about. Yeah, and we inevitably get sidetracked talking about a million different things. (laughs) That aren't really relevant to the episode. So we're going to rein it in now. And I just want to say, though, how is Trusting a Demon not the worst choice that was made in this episode? Okay, here is... The funny, funny thing about that. Do you remember when I said to you a few episodes ago that there's this funny thing in Supernatural where, like, if Dean has, like, a gut instinct Mm -hmm. about a character, it typically turns out to be correct. Mm -hmm. The fact that we had the entire plotline, and it stretched well over a season, of Sam and Ruby, and how it was obviously the wrong choice to trust Ruby, and how that was a terrible idea. And no one let Sam forget about it for like a fucking season. And how Dean was incredibly vocal about, maybe you should trust this fucking demon. Like, you're going to choose a demon over me, your brother. And then Dean in this episode is like, actually, it's different when I do it. But also, he is 100% correct about Crowley. Exactly. I think the difference, the key difference, though, is Dean is correct about Crowley because Dean knows that Crowley is self-serving. Like, he knows what Crowley's motivations are. What Crowley's motivations are are to survive. He doesn't know why he's in danger if Lucifer rises, Mm -hmm. but he does know that Crowley is, in fact, in danger if Lucifer rises. So Crowley will do whatever it takes to help them to stop Lucifer because Crowley doesn't want to die. Whereas... Mm -hmm. Sam fell for Ruby's bullshit story of, I remember what it was like to be a human one. (laughs) But it is so interesting to me that it's like, Dean has this gut instinct about this random character we barely know, Mm -hmm. and he's right. Which is, yeah, he's a self-serving bastard, but he's a self-serving bastard who will help us Mm -hmm. because it will also benefit him. Exactly. And so I just think it's really interesting. But also, not only does Dean immediately trust Crowley in terms of, I'm going to go along with his plan. He trusts Crowley's opinion on Sam, which is insane to me. Like, not in necessarily a way that I think it doesn't make sense, but the fact that when Crowley shows back up, Sam is trying to actively kill him. And by the way, the most weirdly over-exaggerated upward stabbing motion I've ever seen in my entire life. I don't know what was happening there, but I digress. Crowley says, call your dog off, please. And then Dean just does. Like, he just does, which is nuts. Like, there's no, like, pause. He just grabs Sam's arm, Mm. and that's that. Mm. And this is not the, like, last time we will see this, but it is insane to me that this is the first time. Because bearing in mind, we've barely seen Crowley before this point. We saw him for five minutes total in Abandon All Hope. And he was an icon for every five, every minute of those five. Absolutely was. But then even, like, later, when... Crowley is like, Sam's not coming. And yeah, yeah, Dean hesitates for like maybe 30 seconds. But then he's like, well, okay, I guess, you know. And I'm like, damn, Cass doesn't trust Sam. Crowley doesn't trust Sam. But they trust Dean for some reason. Wildly. They also trust Crowley. Like, And like, obviously Dean doesn't actually trust Crowley. 
but he trusts Crowley enough to go along with his plan. Yeah. Like, I think there's a difference between, like, actually trusting somebody and, like, just trusting them enough to work with them. Yeah. But, like, the fact that he even trusts Crowley enough to work with him after everything that happened with Ruby. Yeah, and this is the thing. I'm like, it's different when Dean does it. And, like, the thing is... That is obviously a very hypocritical take from Dean. Mm. But also, in terms of the narrative, it is different when Dean does it. Because the narrative usually rewards him for these choices where it does not reward Sam. And that is just so interesting to me. And it's so interesting to me that Sam trusted Ruby so much. And now he refuses to extend any of the same grace out to Crowley. Which, honestly, given Sam's experience... It makes sense, but it's, like, it's interesting that the experience has scarred Sam to the point where he can't really even be in a room with Crowley without trying to kill him, but it hasn't done the same to Dean. Whereas, like, Sam was more willing to trust the trickster, Mm -hmm. who is an angel. So interesting. Yeah, right? Makes you go, hmm. Makes you go, hmm. It's fucking fascinating. And, like, their relationship with Crowley obviously, like, evolves through the seasons and things. So we'll get to see this sort of change as it goes. And, like, you know, see how various character decisions and plots alter the dynamics. But it is really interesting to me that, like, Ruby had seasons to manipulate Sam into trusting her to Mm -hmm. this point where he is willingly going along with her plans. Also interesting that the demons that target Dean are all dudes. So fascinating that you say that. Yeah. That are explicitly queer coded. Whereas Sam has been manipulated by, I would argue, three demons Meg mm-hmm. and then Ruby and her two different vessels. Because I'd argue that it's the same demon, but I'm, I'm going to argue them separately because it was meant to be like before and after Ruby's quote unquote death. I'm also going to maybe chuck in Lilith for your consideration. Yes. Like, I'm noticing a pattern here. Man, you his know? brain lives in his dick, I guess. <laughs> Men are stupid and horny! stupid and horny (laughs) i feel like we spent too much time asking ourselves how buff is sam actually and not quite enough time asking ourselves how smart is sam actually because (laughs) he seems to be thinking with his dick a lot oh god actually sam does have some bad ideas in this episode and maybe this is a fun little segue into that yeah i literally had the note how is trusting a demon this episode not the worst decision in the entire episode because sam's making bad decisions left right Right and center. center should we do my psa now Okay, if you'd like but to. What do you think my PSA of the day is going to be? Vaccines are good and you should take advantage mm-hmm. of them. Yeah. I don't think that that one needs that much explanation. <laughs> Though I will say this episode did throw me off and they're like, oh yes, swine flu. I'm like, suddenly I'm like 10 again. Threw me back. Oh yeah, absolutely. No, my PSA of the day <laughs> is about proper lab safety. And about properly trying vaccines, etc. Because, yes, vaccines are safe and you should get vaccinated. But the example in this episode was very much like scientists were sacrificing the actual science. The important bit. The important bit in favour of rushing out a product that was not ready and could potentially kill people. Well, in this instance, I suppose, the the idea was to kill people. So, if anything, like, that's actually... He's achieving his goals. Yeah. Unfortunately, the scientists should have known better than to rush the science. Well, here's the thing about this. I think that Ben Edlund, in retrospect, was writing very optimistically because this episode came out in 2010 <laughs> and one of the lines is, we have an unprecedented outbreak. They want our vaccines. They need our vaccine. And I was like, well, we definitely needed them. During a pandemic. A pandemic. 
whether or not everyone necessarily wanted them. Well, unfortunately, <laughs> that was not always the case. But yes, I do want to maybe, like, we should briefly touch on the COVID yeah. of it all. Wild. I know. This show just keeps on making references to COVID that it doesn't even know are references to COVID. It's literally the Apollo dodgeball meme. Like, like masks ahead of their time. <laughs> so ahead of their time. Not only that, but like between this and demon COVID. Mm-hmm. Honestly, Croatoan as modern germ warfare disguised as a vaccine is low-key genius. Mm. Actually, high-key genius, honestly. Like, it is so clever. And one of the criticisms that we've had for other like horsemen's or like specifically the Whore of Babylon in 99 Problems was that they were going with like quite a small mm. target. He's dreaming big. He's dreaming. He's ready for the cutthroat world of upper management. <laughs> He's looking at at least a national level, yeah. you know? And like swine flu didn't and just affect America. Like they are looking but global. Everyone knows that no other countries exist. <laughs> it is only, only America. America. My favourite thing is whenever you get, like, a zombie movie or whatever, mm-hmm. that the theory is that, you know, only zombies only took over America. Everywhere else is fine. Everyone else it's is fine. Just America. <laughs> and you know what is actually so frustrating? Like, Marvel and stuff are really bad mm-hmm. for this. Whenever they show that, like, oh, this is impacting other places mm-hmm. in the, like, world, always when they show Australia, something terrible is happening to the Sydney Opera House. Which is a real Because the Sydney Opera House is gorgeous. It, yeah, don't, don't get me wrong. There's a reason it's What's like a national landmark. What's happening to the Moles Bulls? Right? <laughs> Justice for the Moles Bulls. <laughs> that one person on our survey who had questions, that one's for you. <laughs> like, think of the pigeon. <laughs> what about the pigs? No, I just want to see them destroy the, the big pineapple one time. The big rocking horse. We've got any of those so things we listed things. in that episode yeah. way back when. We had an entire episode where we basically spent like 20 minutes just listing off big things in Australia. Yeah, and it was a nightmare for me to edit. But we have other stuff, guys. It's not just Sydney and it's not just the Opera House. What I love, though, is that Melbourne has absolutely nothing notable inside it. Uh, excuse you, the aquarium. <laughs> <laughs> and the science museum is also pretty cool. This just invokes Bethany's a massive fuck-off nerd. No one is surprised. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to be fair, though, most nerds can count. Do you know what, Jamie? <laughs> You're right. Okay, moving right along from that, because that's only going to make sense to a small handful of people. I do want to mention the scene where they are wearing the masks yeah. and they're acting as if they're from the CDC. Mm-hmm. They are doing that thing that I know so many of us did enjoy about wearing masks everywhere. And I want to put a quick caveat here. Where we live, like, in Australia, masks, unless you're in a hospital or other healthcare setting, we're not really using them so much anymore. Obviously, other parts of the world where there's, like, much higher, denser populations, just in case anyone is confused about us talking like masks are a thing of the past, we're still using them, but in specific settings. Anyway, what I, I know what... At least I enjoyed a lot about being able to like wear a mask everywhere is that I could like talk to myself very quietly or like sing along to songs or whatever and like assume no one knew because they couldn't see my mouth moving and like we're in a public space and I'm being very quiet so like they don't know you know. See we liked very different things about the mask. Interesting. So I really liked being able to tell customers to fuck off under my breath without them hearing or seeing me. Exactly. No, this is this is the same thing. Yeah. Same brain. We enjoyed the same thing. I just yeah. gave a very different example. Oh no, yeah. I, I'm talking about like when I was out and about at the shops. You're talking about in your workplace. Yeah. And here's the thing. 
Sam and Dean also seem to think no one can hear them. <laughs> but they're wrong. <laughs> they're speaking relatively loudly right in front of the people that they should not be speaking loudly in front of. Literally, Dean says, like, who would talk about that? Crazy people, which we're not. And I'm like, good cover, babe. Smooth. Okay, that has been us fully getting off of topic. Time to hop, skip, and jump back over onto the episode. I have a great segue to okay. bring us from COVID and the CDC and swine flu and diseases mm-hmm. directly into the episode, mm-hmm. right? Okay. Obligatory children's hospital joke. When the guy gets dragged out of Brady's office. <laughs> Which we do need to talk about Brady and that office and the scenes because we do also get the iconic line, where's your moose? Which we've heard Sam described in many ways. That's a first. Do you know what is so funny about this? This one sticks. Crowley refers to Sam as moose. From like this point on, I'm pretty sure. Ben Edlund wrote the joke. He was like, that's fucking funny. Yeah. I'm going to reuse that. <laughs> Genuinely. It's so funny because, you know, Rocky and Bullwinkle, Crowley refers to Dean and Sam as squirrel and moose. I'm pretty sure at one point we get, <laughs> I forgot about this. I'm pretty sure at one point we get a scene where Crowley like looks at his phone and it's the like caller ID either says like not moose or not squirrel. Like, yeah. <laughs> So it's not even like squirrel and moose, it's no, like... it's like squirrel and not squirrel, <laughs> which is so gas-coated, actually. Is Dean squirrel because he's nuts? I think it's just a size thing. Like, I, th- I think Sam is moose just because he's so huge. It could also be that. Who knows? Though also, we get some Crowley lore unlocked in this episode. Mm-mm, I love Crowley lore. Brady calls him uncle. I don't know if that fits into literally anything. <laughs> but Brady calls him uncle. Like, so I'm assuming that's... The demon that is currently possessing Brady and not actual Brady, but... Yeah, Jack, it's funny because we, we do get information about Crowley's family from when he was a human. Yeah. I don't think we ever get a mention of a nephew. Do we get a mention of any sort of siblings? No, no, we definitely don't get siblings. Because, yeah, no, he fully, he calls him uncle. Yeah, I have no idea how that's relevant. Maybe Ben had a plan. Maybe this was something that they were hoping to set up for season six and then it just never followed through. Yeah. But yeah, I have no idea. Sarah Gamble decided to no longer be on Bed and Lynn's team. <laughs> it's so funny that you say that. She's like, <laughs> I have the power now. Thank you for helping me get here. Now I'm going to just disregard your idea. But it could be uncle as in like this term of respect. You know, like when you have a family friend who's not actually an uncle, but is... Oh yeah, okay. Like, But you call them that. Yeah. I don't know. I Honestly, it could just be a reference to like, you know how people say like, I don't really understand this, but I've seen it used where people say uncle as like a term of like, okay, I give up, like surrender kind of thing. But, it's but not it didn't come in... across that way. Yeah, that's not the tone of voice. Like, it's not like, uncle, uncle. Like, I'm not, it's not like I'm giving up. It's, hello, uncle. Uncle? Like, it's <laughs> yeah. like, questioning, like. Question mark? I have no idea. Anyway, while we are briefly back on Crowley and mm-hmm. things that are weird that are said mm-hmm. in and around him, corn shoot. That's what I haven't heard before. <laughs> Like, clearly I have because I've seen this episode before, but it's not what I remembered about the episode. And it's certainly not a term I have heard anywhere else. Yeah, I don't know. I don't have any further comments on it. Okay. It's just... Thank you for sharing that incredible insight. Yeah, thanks for listening to it. (laughs) (laughs) While we're sharing incredible insights, Mm. the fucking table salt zoom in. (laughs) That's from this fucking... I've seen that. It is... 
a choice. I know. I, I had a note about it and it was just the infamous salt zoo. Ha 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 ha. Like. <laughs> I appreciate that the directors are trying something more creative. It's Robert Singer this episode. With the way they're directing the episodes. But some of the shot choices, man. <laughs> some of the shot choices. They're making interesting choices. I don't know if they're necessarily good. Just like but they choices. choices this episode, which are also interesting, but not necessarily good. <laughs> which we meant to talk about probably like 30 minutes yeah. ago. Do we want to circle back to that? I want to circle back to that, but I do want to say something else oh, while okay. we're talking about choices in this episode. Mm-hmm. Bobby makes the point, because Sam, this is how it's going to tie into Sam. I don't worry, I had it all planned out in my brain. Okay. Bobby makes the point that now Sam's basically lining up for a suicide mission. He's like, oh no, I just talked your brother off the ledge. Uh huh. What he didn't include in that sentence was, hey, I did that just after your brother talked me off of the ledge. Yeah. Like, it's just... It's just a circle. It's like, just it's going Bobby, around. Bobby's turn next, you yeah, know? Like, like, they're <laughs> just taking turns of who's ready to go on the suicide mission. It's the Winchester way, and Bobby gets included in that because uh-huh. he's like extended family. He is actually uncle. Yes. <laughs> Literally. So we have Sam who's ready to go on a suicide mission and he's talking to Bobby and Bobby's like, you're fucking stupid. It's Lucifer. The other key thing is Lucifer is not a demon. Mm. Bobby managed to overpower a demon. Yeah. Lucifer is a fucking archangel. They're different species. Mm -hmm. Completely, like, Bobby's experiences are not applicable to a fucking archangel. That's not how it works. Yeah. And I am glad that Bobby basically says as much to Sam. He's basically like, yeah, what I did was one in a million and it's nothing compared to what you're saying maybe you should do. Your idea is so bad, Sam. Like, Sam has had bad ideas before, you know? He's done some stuff. But this really takes the cake. (laughs) Which we do get the monologue in this episode about you hate what you see in the mirror, I'm sorry. Which... We've just watched Leverage, the Ten Little Grifters job, mm-hmm. where Sophie has the speech to Nate mm-hmm. that's like, do you hate what you think we see when we look at you or what you see in the mirror? Same speech. Sam and Nate are so interestingly linked. We even see Sam drinking as a coping mechanism in this mm-hmm. episode. Like, it's fascinating. Do you have any thoughts particularly about Sam's plan? Bad. I think that pretty much sums it up, but I wanted to check before okay, we moved on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So... Sam has another bad idea this episode. Yeah. Which is that he locks Dean in the bathroom mm-hmm. to go and, like, get revenge on Brady. And I am a little confused about this scene because I can't quite decide if I think that Sam was just going to kill Brady and then, like, came to his senses and, like, backed mm-hmm. off. Or if he was intentionally just trying to scare Brady but knew that Dean wouldn't let him near enough to do it. Like, I can't quite figure out what Sam's motivation was in this moment. Do you know what I mean? All I know is the sink was fucking gross. Oh, God, I know. (laughs) When Dean splashes his face with the water, I'm like, you could not pay me to go anywhere near that fucking water, man. What are you doing? If that's what the sink looks like, what the fuck do you think's in the pipes, my dude? If this was Mystery Spot, that would have been one of the ways he fucking died. (laughs) But I don't know, like, the way I read this scene, obviously I haven't put too much, it's a first Why question. would you? Why would I? <laughs> um, is that he was intending to go and kill Brady and then he sort of come to his senses and realised that, you know, he's better off leaving Brady alive. He heard Bobby in his head mm. calling him Mr. Anger Management and he was like, fuck, can't prove Bobby right. You know what would be so funny about that though, is that what? he still wouldn't be Mr. Anger Management because the anger management in his head would be Bobby. <laughs> 
Bobby Mr. Anger Management? Actually, they do make a point in this episode. So obviously, coming back to like Brady and like the whole point of his character, he mentioned that the reason why he was stationed with Sam at Stanford was because the Yellow Eye Demon was worried that Sam was becoming too mild-mannered. And that is how Bobby gets described by Karen in Dead Men Don't Wear Platt. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that they were like, damn, this boy's becoming too much like his uncle Bobby Singer and not enough like his dad, John Winchester, so we better kill his wife stand-in and course-correct that shit immediately. Obviously, that's the only logical answer. That's key. And then it's going to go one of two ways. But either way, he gets back into hunting, which is what we want specifically. Mm -hmm. They really had to do it to him. What is interesting, though, and I do wonder about this, that means that the instigator that got Jess killed was Dean showing up at Stanford because John was missing. So it does make me wonder, like, at what point would they have pushed Sam back to hunting? Like, because it couldn't have just been like, oh, they abducted Sam for the Demon Hunger Games because the point was that Sam wasn't sharp enough. So they had demons there ready to, like, They wanted to make sure that when he was in the Demon Hunger Games, he would win. And then it still flopped miserably for him. I know, Jake still beat him. It's so funny. Sam really had everything going for him and somehow still lost. But like, I wonder what instigator, what were they waiting for, I guess? You yeah. Know? Because, because the implication is that Brady knew Sam for a while, like at least a couple years. I think that the instigator may have been the fact that he didn't want to stay with Dean, mm. if that makes sense. Like, I feel like they were anticipating that, like, John would go missing and Sam would once more step up to the plate of hunting to find his dad. And when that didn't draw him back in... So would they have kidnapped John if John hadn't just gone missing on his own volition? I mean, what's to say that John wasn't kidnapped and he just was too proud to fucking say it? (laughs) Love that take. (laughs) Like, what's the bet that John fucked up, got himself kidnapped, and then he did manage to escape? I will give him that. But Oh, hear me out. What if the angels abducted John? We don't ever get an answer to this, so I don't mind, like, theorizing. But what if the angels abducted John and then just, like, stored him in the fucking gaslighting room and then just wiped his memory upon release? Wouldn't be the first time they've wiped his memory. Exactly. They clearly don't mind fucking with that man's, like, memories, so... But no, I would, yeah, I think it would be very interesting to see, like, did John actually choose to go missing or did he just think that he would look weak if he said... If he admitted it. That's why he doesn't respond to Dean in home. John, like, needed to, like, essentially get over himself and speak to his kids. Like, Missouri told him as much. But do you reckon it's because he was embarrassed? Like, he hadn't come up with a good backstory yet as to why the fuck he disappeared? Yeah. That's so funny. I love that. Okay. <laughs> I cannot accept it. The entire thing is just very interesting, you know? Actually, oh, something else that is interesting. I wanted to talk about the set design this okay, week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There are pitchfork imagery all around. In the scene where Crowley initially says to them, like, oh, Sam's not coming. And they're like, what? Excuse you? Who said? When you look at Sam and Dean, on the wall behind them is actually a pitchfork, like graffitied on the mm-hmm. wall behind them. And it's really interesting why the way it's framed, because it sits right over Dean's shoulder. And it's like literally the devil sitting on his shoulder. Like, But it's Crowley, obviously. Who is being like, come on, like, come with me, don't stay with your brother. Not that it's actually a bad thing no. in this instance, but it is an interesting image I, to put there. I think it's so interesting as well, just because they frame it when Sam had a demon on his shoulder, specifically Brady in this episode. Mm-hmm. They frame that as like, oh no, that was a bad thing. Yeah. Like, 
that was what the demons wanted. They wanted to be on his shoulders so they could more easily manipulate him, etc. But when Dean has a demon on his shoulder, mm-hmm. it is framed not as a bad thing, but rather something that actually is going to be really useful to them in yeah. the long term. Exactly. And it's interesting as well because even if you don't look at it as like specifically the pitchfork being over Dean's shoulder, even if you just look at how Sam and Dean are standing in relation to it, the pitchfork is between them. The demon has come between them or hell is coming between them. And I think that is really, really interesting. But it's also not the only imagery of pitchforks we get in this episode. When Brady has been brought back to the house and Sam and Dean are talking about it, Crowley goes in to talk to Brady and he closes the two glass doors. And the glass doors in the window panes have pitchforks. It's not obviously like explicitly a pitchfork that's been like spray painted or something but there it is definitely there on each side of the door are pitchforks these are the same glass doors that the hellhound later jumps through so good doggos good doggos i know right i actually love that the hellhounds are invisible yeah i love it because the practical effects showing the hellhounds like when they're moving through rooms and like when they're fighting and stuff it's aged so well so much better than any special effects they could have used. Like any CGI mm-hmm. would have aged like milk at this point. But the practical effects, they look as good now as they would have in 2010. It's kind of like in My Bloody Valentine when the Cupid was moving through the room and you could see it in the way that the decorations were fluttering and that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. it's like the same equivalent. And I, I love that. I love that it's almost the use of the negative space. You know, mm-hmm. it's like you assume that the Hellhound takes up the space that is empty because like it's surrounded by the shit that's been tossed everywhere and covered in blood. <laughs> and I love the fact that like Meg, he has a pet hellhound. I just love that they are now canonically something you can keep as pets. You know, they're working dogs. They've got a purpose. I don't remember when we find this out, but it's not a spoiler. We do eventually get the name for Crowley's hellhound. Do you want to take a guess? I want to say Sparkles or Fluffy or something like that. (laughs) When my mum was a kid, she had three fish and their name was Fingers, Sushi and Fluffy. (laughs) So Crowley's your mum coded. Yeah, apparently. (laughs) No, the Hellhound's name. Oh, see, I kind of want to wait till you get it. I'm actually, do you know what? No, this is going to be like Sophie's real name and leverage. You don't get to know until the audience knows. Okay. But we do get the name of Crowley's Hellhound and it's And very like close, fun. is it sort of that vibe? Well, it's not like sparkles. Like it's, yeah. it's it is technically a I'm not gonna say a pop culture reference, although I suppose it depends on which iteration you're talking about. But it's it's certainly a reference. He is a gay icon enough to have named it like Madonna. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, kind of the right energy. <laughs> David Boney. <laughs> Crowley, not Dean, has named named the Hellhound. Anyway, moving right along. I do also love the kind of snipiness we get between the characters this episode. And this is something that Ben Edlin does really well. I think either Sam or Dean says to Crowley, a Hellhound followed you here? And Crowley's like, well, technically they followed this. And then it immediately cuts to Sam being like, I told you. And Dean being like, well, good for you. Which is just so funny. But also it's interesting that like the betrayal comes not in terms of Crowley but in terms of Crowley just didn't see it. Mm -hmm. Which is odd for Crowley 
who normally sees everything coming. One of the really interesting things about Crowley is that he is so used to being in control of everything, and we saw that in Abandon All Hope. We saw how confident he was in everything around him. And now he's been thrown into this position where he's like completely fucked. And he is having to improvise and he is having to stick his neck out in ways that he would normally avoid at all costs. He's talking about how he's doing the last thing he should be doing, which is standing in the middle of a street, talking to the Winchesters with a literal spotlight on him. He's talking the about- The spotlight is Zachariah. The spotlight is Zachariah. Or the ghost of Zachariah. Yeah. Rip Zachariah. R.I.P. King. <laughs> but- you know, he's talking about, oh, well, I guess I'm just going to go stick my neck out and go see a whole nest of demons. Like, he is resorting to the least preferable plans yeah. at this point. He's on to plan M, which normally Hardison dies in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which is so funny because the equivalent of, you know, if Crowley was like, oh, yeah, no, we're, we're on to plan M. It's not Hardison dies, it's Sam <laughs> dies. Literally. Which is so fucking funny. Actually, I also had a note about how when Dean is in the office with Brady and he's, like, negotiating, I was like, oh, this is exactly what would happen if Dean Winchester had to work a job with the Leverage crew. Like, this is actually what would happen. <laughs> this is fan fiction. Ben Edlund watched Leverage and he was like, you know what would be so funny? If we got Mark Shepard <laughs> and made a corrupt head of a corporation and then made Dean try to con them. That was the concept for this episode. You know what I think is so sad? What? Is that we never get Ben Edlund writing an episode of Leverage. Like, can you imagine the power that would hold? You're so right. That shit would slap. Like, if this mm-hmm. is what he can do with Supernatural, what could he do with Leverage? You know what I think would be fascinating? What? An episode of Leverage written by Sarah Gamble. Actually, we're going to talk about that when we get to season seven. So we get a really interesting sequence out of this episode, which is not something that carries on through the show because obviously we lose Brady in this episode like he dies like we don't get him back but we get the moment where he says to one of his employees like do the best of somebody better which is rough first of all like it's giving that scene in how to train your dragon where they're like you just have to change you know this and Hiccup's like you just gestured to all of me like it's giving that energy you know but I think there is something about the fact that then he goes and he uses the blood cup and then we find out that that's actually a line directly from Pestilence. Like, he's telling Brady, do the best of somebody better. Mm -hmm. And then Brady is saying that to his delegates, I guess. Like, I just think that's an interesting comment on, like, abuse. I also just want to know, so Brady... Is the CEO of a massive corporation. Yes. So Brady's, That's his Stanford education coming in. So Brady's fucking loaded. Mm. Who gets everything in the wheel? Ooh, good question. You think he's left it all to, like, Demon Inc.? Yeah. Do you reckon it goes to Crowley if, if that's the next closest surviving relative? <laughs> I mean, if he's his uncle. Actually, what is really interesting, right, is that in this episode, we find out, because they're talking about how, you know, Brady came back from Thanksgiving break, mm-hmm. quote-unquote, all messed up. He was saying that he, like, dropped out of med school and stuff. Now, this is a pharmaceutical company that he's positioned at. Mm-hmm. So does that mean that this demon commits so hard to his role that he actually finished university degree as Brady? After and then, Sam dropped out? Yeah. Like, he just commits. And he just, like, that is true method acting. (laughs) But, like, do you know what I mean? Like, he commits so hard to that role, and then he graduated and then worked his way up the company to be a CEO. Like, let's 
be real. What have Sam and Dean accomplished in the last five years? They started the fucking apocalypse. What did Brady do? He graduated, got his first job, and then moved his way up the corporate ladder to CEO. Who does that? Brady is so accomplished. I don't feel like no one really appreciates that about him. That is work ethic. And also, you know, the ability to smite anyone in your path, I suppose. Yeah. Like, it's also privilege. Like, yeah. (laughs) Like, massive amounts of privilege. It's nepotism in a wildly different way than tradition. Ooh, yeah. (laughs) So, one of the last couple things I want to talk to you about is in the end of the episode, Sam and Brady do their face-off and, like, they have the little monologue that we talked about earlier. First of all, I feel like we maybe just need to highlight the way that Sam ended that interaction. Brady goes on this, like you mentioned before, this sort of monologue, I guess there's no other way to describe it. He's saying like, do you really hate us that much or do you hate us so much because of what you see in the mirror? Is it maybe because we're so alike and that's how you keep getting blindsided by us? Is it the blood in your veins? Like, And Sam straight up kills him. And then he's like, interesting theory. And then he just walks off. And I think that's just like a very... Sam, how demonic of you. Well, I just think it's a really interesting way for that interaction to end. Because we're so used to Sam being quite emotionally volatile. And we've been talking about this for seasons. And we see it this episode. Like, we see that immediate reaction. He sees Crowley and he's like, stabby, stabby. And he sees Brady and he's like, stabby, stabby. And, you know, Bobby makes the point of, like, you're not exactly Mr. Anger Management. And all of these things. But we also see him showing that restraint. Like, we see him restrain himself from killing Brady. We see him, when he does kill Brady, it is, like, cold and calculated in a way that we haven't really seen from Sam. It's kind of giving the opposite of the season finale, I think, of season two. Do you remember, like, Sam shot way more than was necessary and Dean and Bobby had that little chat about it being like, "Mm, that seemed like overkill. It's kind of the opposite of that. And so it's really interesting for me to see Sam kind of hit reverse. I feel like it's just worth mentioning how he ended that interaction. But I also just want to mention Dean pouring the salt line and then stopping for Crowley to walk through. And the like, I don't know. Sexual tension of that scene. I was just like, the charged energy with which they watch each other as he (laughs) sidesteps. It's very interesting, the dynamic between Dean and Crowley immediately. Mm -hmm. I think what's really interesting, though, is, like, we have seen Sam in a similar position, but the difference is Sam kind of trusts Ruby, like, innately, immediately. Like, there wasn't the same level of caution. And, like, obviously some of that is because Ruby did very much, like... Present herself differently. Yeah. So it's interesting that, like, oh, no, what makes Dean trust Crowley is that Crowley is straight up, like, oh, no, this is for me. Like, I don't give a shit about you. Like, I don't give a shit about anything else. Like, I just... I've got going on here. Like, I'd really hate to be... Inconvenienced yeah. by the apocalypse. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they've already eaten his tailor, which is so fucking rude of them, honestly. <laughs> exactly. So it's really interesting, though, that the way that Ruby is manipulated was very much like, oh, well, do you believe me now? I've saved your life two dozen times. Like, da 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 yeah. I just remember what it was like to be human. Da-da-da. Like, yeah, it's just a very different tactic. And it's interesting the way that we see it work and not work. As a follow-on from that, My last real note about the episode is that we get this moment, again, at the very end, with Bobby and Crowley. And Crowley starts off standing in the kitchen, and Bobby is in the library, right? 
And what is really interesting to me about this in particular is that in my mind, and this goes back to Lazarus Rising. Do you remember that episode I was like so fucking passionate about the color schemes? Yeah. Okay. So one of the things that I talked about was how the kitchen is painted green Mm -hmm. and the library is painted red. And we know at this point, like, green is associated with Dean, red is associated with Sam. Also, kitchens specifically are associated with Dean, whether you're talking about Dean and his, like, food whole, like, that whole thing we've talked to death about. And also just the fact that he was the parental figure and had to cook food. Yeah, like, and the whole thing about the kitchen being the heart of the home, like, Mm -hmm. yeah, that is Dean. And we continue to see Dean and food and Dean and cooking and Dean and kitchens for the rest of the series. Sam, the focus on Sam is often, like, intellectual, right? So it makes sense. He's a smart brother. Quote, unquote. You know, so it makes sense that the Sam-coloured room is the library and the Dean-coloured room is the kitchen. And what is so interesting about interactions that happen in Bobby's house is that Crowley is standing in Dean's room and Bobby is standing in Sam's because Bobby doesn't trust Crowley. But do you know who did? Dean. And as they are conversing... Bobby is moving closer to the kitchen from the library. He's wheeling forward, like, and yes, he's shooting at him, but he is being convinced Mm. and he is crossing the threshold from the area of mistrust to the area of trust. And I just think that's interesting, you know? And to be fair, I could be pulling this out of my ass, but it is very much like in the beginning of season four, when Cass shows up to Dean in his dream, And Dean walks out of the library where he'd been napping and into the kitchen to have that discussion with Cass. Crowley is actually standing in the exact same spot. It's interesting, though, that Bobby doesn't have, like, a blue room anywhere. It would have been more interesting for me if it was, like, Dean walked from the red room into into the the blue blue room. I mean, it's lit blue yeah, in that episode because it's in the evening and stuff. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, no, I just think it's really interesting. And whether or not it was intentional, honestly, no fucking idea. But also, at a certain point, it doesn't really matter whether it's intentional or not. What matters is that's what it is. Intentionality obviously can help you sort of gauge what was meant to be. But, like, there's a difference between what was meant to be and what actually is. Yeah. And even, like, going past the whole, like, you know, Sam and intellect thing in the library Mm -hmm. and the lore... There's also, like, if they're ever performing any kind of magic, like any kind of spell, they're doing it in the library because that's where the fire is. And honestly, the fires, you know, of hell, that's also relevant, whereas the kitchen has the windows and the light from, you know, the outside. And, like, I don't know. It's just very interesting to me personally that that's how they framed that scene. However, that's not the actual important part of that scene. No, the important part is that... Crowley's like, I need your help. You need to sell me your soul so that I can find this because his power has limits, Mm -hmm. which I would assume, based on what we've been told so far, Crowley is the demon that holds all of the demon deal. Previously, it was Lilith. Mm -hmm. Lilith is dead. So I'm assuming Crowley inherited it all based on the way Becky says that Crowley was her second in command. Yeah, so Crowley kind of got promoted, I suppose, at Lilith's death. So he is, I don't think that we have had them explicitly say this actually in fact i'm pretty sure we definitely haven't but he is the king of the crossroads okay so essentially like any deal he is the top of the food chain when it comes to any of the crossroad so if you say to a crossroad demon i want to speak to your manager you get crowley (laughs) i'm imagining tahani though (laughs) that's kind of how it goes so when it comes to the crossroad deals Obviously, the demons are, like, really They have a certain amount of autonomy. Yes, but, but ultimately everything goes through Crowley. Mm-hmm. 
that's how how it works. But yeah, so he has limitations to his power, but that's the trade-off. So if Bobby agrees to the loaning of his soul. He's promised to give it back. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So I guess my first question is, do you think Crowley's full of shit? I think that it's a dangerous risk to take. I think, unfortunately, though, there may not be an option to not take it. Cool. With Bobby in the Sam room, what do you think are the odds of him taking Crowley up on the deal? Pretty high. Do you know how many demon deals that boy fucking is trying to do? <laughs> I know. Like, Sam is so desperate for a demon deal, it makes him look stupid. Like, <laughs> it's so funny to me that he desperately wants to make a deal and everyone's like, no. <laughs> His own specific brand of torture. Like, he's so desperate. And they're like, nah, mate. <laughs> But yeah, so so you think that there's a high probability that Bobby is going to make the deal with Crowley? Yeah. Because like, here's the other thing. We're getting to the pointy end of the season. There's like three episodes left. Two. Well, this is 15, 19, isn't it? 15, 20. 5, 20, even. Yeah. <laughs> 15, we're getting a bit ahead of ourselves. <laughs> yeah, no, no. We've got two episodes left of the season. It seems weird to introduce this as a possibility if it's not what they're going to do. Narratively, it doesn't make a lot of sense for them to have Crowley bring this up. Mm-hmm. If this is not going to be something that they specifically either do or they specifically don't do based on something else. I don't see them coming up with any other idea. I think Ben Endland's come in at the last minute with like this. Hail Mary. Hail Mary. <laughs> and it's like, I've got, I know how we can fucking solve this. Bobby's going to put his soul up as collateral against yeah. alone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. I think that that covers just about all of my major notes. Yeah. I don't think I have anything else to add, so... Okie dokies. So, in that case, it brings us to the end of this Mm -hmm. week's episode, Jamie. How would you rate episode 520, The Devil You Know, out of five? Okay, I want to start with a caveat that I think the episode itself is only worth three and a half, okay? Okay. I'm going to give it a four, though, because we get so much fucking Crowley, and he Uh is an icon every single goddamn minute he's on the screen. The episode itself, the plot of the episode itself, only worth three and a half. I don't love the whole, like, Sam's going to go in and beat up this demon because it pretended to be its friend. It's like, you know you've been manipulated the entire fucking time. Yeah. You know this. It's not surprising. I think the thing that really fucks Sam up about that is the whole, like, lack of autonomy thing. Mm. Because it's like, this was the time he thought that he had autonomy and now he's finding out, actually, he didn't even get to choose his girlfriend. Bitch, you thought. Like, genuinely, it's ridiculous how little autonomy that Sam has had. And I think every time he's reminded of it, he gets more and more wound up about it, which is fair. But also to find out he didn't even have it at the point he thought he had it most. Yeah. That is somehow worse. Knowing you don't have autonomy is one thing. Thinking you do and finding out you don't, that's something else. So I I get Sam's reaction. I do. But I also understand how, like... As far as an episode goes, it's not exactly revolutionary. But we do have the benefit of Crowley is a fucking delight. I look at him on my screen and I go, why is this show not about you? (laughs) Like, I'm starting to warm up to, like, the brothers and that sort of stuff. Like, you know. But I still, like, they're not my blobber. And that's okay. Thank God this show ended up running another ten seasons. If you got to the two episodes before the end and you were like, eh, I guess they're all right. (laughs) But they're just... You know, I've said it before, I'll say it again. They're just not that interesting. Like, they're kind of just, like, boring white guys. (laughs) There's nothing really that's emotionally resonant about the main characters for me. Mm. You know what I mean? And, like, I resonate with Cass more because Cass is... Like, I am very similar to Cass in a lot of ways. I think the side characters are so much better. The side characters 
in Supernatural are very strong, and particularly Ben Edlund episode, mm-hmm. the side characters are fucking on point. They're more interesting than whatever the fuck the main two have going on. And, like, I shouldn't be blamed for that. <laughs> I mean, that's a valid take to have. You know, you're entitled to your viewing experience. Specifically, when, like, Cass came on the scene, it became immediately obvious that having any other character introduced to an episode just adds a little bit of flavor to a dynamic that otherwise kind of becomes stale. It's very one note. That's what I was noticing a lot in like the first two seasons. I was going to say season three is the worst for it, actually. Mm -hmm. It's just sort of like after you hit sort of midway through season one, it's like, oh, we're getting the same dynamic week in, week out. And the dynamic is interesting, don't get me wrong, but I feel like there's only so much you can say about it without adding in someone to complicate it or show a new light on it. Like you hit the second half of the first season Mm -hmm. and you're like, it's just these two yeah. dudes again. Yeah. We get it. They both have daddy issues and Dean's issue is that he is the daddy. <laughs> Did I phrase that poorly? Yes. Am I going to leave it as it is? Yes. Absolutely. One of these days you are going to send me into cardiac arrest. It's a gift. <laughs> but no, so anytime like you have that third character in there who just alters that dynamic and mm-hmm. makes it that little bit more interesting and less like the same old, same old that we see all throughout the first two, three yeah. seasons... It just, yeah. It's like, if you think of which episodes hit the hardest across all of Kripke mm-hmm. era that you've seen so far, it's the episodes where we have Cass, where we have Crowley, where we have... Zachariah. Zachariah. Where like, we I'm have Bobby. Gabriel. Gabriel is a great example. Anna. Ash and Joe and Ellen. Ash and Joe and Ellen. Missouri. Like, any episode where we have the boys interacting with a character that is not each other. And is also not victim of the week or victim of the week adjacent. Yeah. Even Ruby, yeah. like, as a character, episodes where we have her, even though she is, like, a specific source of conflict between the brothers. It makes it more interesting. Yeah, because it's not just this consistent, monotonous, mm-hmm. same issue. And I think that's why season three feels the worst for it. Because while we get some absolute bangers, like every episode with Bella, season three, I think, was the worst for it because we had that one monotonous plot point mm-hmm. of, Dean's going to die and they're both angsty about it. And that was their entire dynamic that whole fucking season. So any episodes where we got another character in that broke that up and distracted us from that. Mystery spot. Mystery spot. Those episodes where we got any other character involved so that they could unite against something. Yeah. (laughs) Rather than just focusing on the fact that they were pissy at each other. It just immediately makes it better. Yeah. You know, or even like in this episode, they're kind of pissing each other about Crowley, but at least it's about Crowley and Crowley gets to be there and be the instigator. Yeah. Rather than- And it he's just enjoying being... every single exactly. moment. He's like, Sam, watch me seduce your brother and hate every second of it. It's delightful. I would find it so funny to read a fic where like Crowley is Dean's gay awakening. You know what I mean? Like, cause I feel yeah. like so many are like, oh no, it's Cass. It's like, but- Cass has got too much gay panic in on of himself to, like, actually inspire it in Dean. You know what I mean? Crowley seducing Dean for the express purpose of convincing him he's in love with Cass. Because he's just so <laughs> fucked off about it. He's like, you guys have so much UST. It's driving me insane. Oh, my God. A, a, a fucking fic where, like, it's a college AU, but where Crowley's the p- professor. And he's and trying he's to... watching like... the two of them in class. Yeah. <laughs> and Crowley's fucked off about it. He's doing that thing where he, like, makes them work on assignments together. He's assigning them by, like, alphabetical order. So, of course, Castiel and Dean are right next to each other. Oh, yeah. Alphabetical by first name. I was like, Novak and Winchester. I was like, there's a bit of a gap there. (laughs) 
He sent an email to everyone with last names between theirs to not show <laughs> that class was cancelled. Stick them in a room together and make them work it out. <laughs> I was trying to wrap this up. I think this episode is a delight. There's so much good stuff in here. And Edlin really slaps the hood of the car and says, you can fit so much good shit in here. Yeah, I know. This is why, like, you can look at the list of, like, episodes from particular writers and be like, damn, they really understood the assignment. Next episode is titled Two Minutes to Midnight. What do you think? Oh, my God. Sorry, I know we're trying to wrap up. I'm editing 99 Problems right now. And I just uploaded Dark Side of the Moon, Mm -hmm. right? Do you know what I realised as I was uploading Dark Side of the Moon? It's the 98th episode, Jamie. 99 Problems was a reference to the fact that it was the 99th episode of Supernatural and neither of us picked up on that. Even knowing that the next episode was the 100th because we knew we were going to fucking collab with KJ. So they purposely like put it at number 99 so that the reference 99 Problems was like a double reference. Yeah, either that. Or they just were like, hey, this is going to be the 99th episode. Do you know it would be a funny title? And then it just magically worked out for them. Mm-hmm. But I'm so mad that I it took me uploading fucking Dark Side of the Moon and typing in episode 98 to be like, hang on a fucking minute. But anyway, next episode. <laughs> two minutes to midnight. Yeah, you were <laughs> Two minutes to midnight. Do you have any thoughts, feelings, hopes, dreams, fears, or predictions? Well, I'm assuming it's going to be like a kind of two-part season finale. Because like... I feel like there's too much plot stuff left to be wrapped up for it to fall into. Like, you know how sometimes they do, like, the filler episode and then the episode, the season finale where all the shit hits the fan? Yeah. It feels like there's still too much stuff to get done. I don't know what the title means. I'm just going to go based on what I think in terms of, like, what what makes narrative sense. I think they're going to find death. Okay. Because they've now got pestilence... So they'll, they'll get... Well, they haven't got Pestilence. They, they will get Pestilence and Death, the two last two rings. Because mm-hmm. I think they need the... Like, I think pacing-wise it makes sense for them to have the last two rings going into the final episode. Yeah. Because then the final episode is convincing Lucifer to get back in the cage. Yeah. I still think they're going to lock Michael in there as well. Okay. Like, I think they're they're double whammy. I think they're locking Lucifer and Michael in the get-along cage together. Okay. So they can sort out their bullshit. Hot takes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Hot takes with Jamie. I love that for you. That's Maybe. what we should have named the podcast. <laughs> Hot takes with Jamie. I think it makes narrative sense for them to get the death and pestilence rings next episode, or at least get pestilence and then get death in the first, like, five, ten minutes of the episode after. This is their plan. I think they wouldn't have introduced this plan if they had any other way to solve this fucking problem. Like, they're, they're not throwing red herrings out at this point. Whether or not this plan is successful, I think this is the plan they're going to go with. Because it's the only plan they've got. Mm-hmm. Which is my what I've been saying all fucking season, <laughs> which is the cage is still there. Why can't they just shove him back in the cage? It worked perfectly well last time. M- maybe two minutes to midnight just means, like, they're getting close to the end. If like, it helps, what I think that the title is in reference to, and bearing in mind, I've never actually looked into why they named it this, but what I'm assuming is, you know that world clock that they've got and they talk about how long in terms of history, like how close we are to midnight and midnight being the point where like Earth no longer sustains yeah. us and we all die? I think that that's what the reference okay. is to. So general apocalypse reference. Yeah. So it basically it's just like no. the end of the world is nigh, but we didn't want to call the episode that kind of thing. I have worked it out. It's a reference. Two minutes to midnight. They're all having a Taylor Swift <laughs> album <laughs> drop party. <laughs> this is the Taylor Swift long con. Yeah. She called Eric Kripke in 2010 and was like, you're never going to guess what I'm going to do. <laughs> that's my guess. <laughs> okay. So that's your prediction for yeah. next week's episode. Mm-hmm. Plus maybe the finale. Yeah. 
Do you think Cass will be in next week's episode? Yes. Okay. Do we feel good or bad about this? Because you said recently that you didn't want Cass in an episode because you were worried about his safety, but then you did want Cass in an episode because you love him. So yeah. it's conflicting emotions. Yeah. <laughs> I think next episode we're going to get the beginning of the Castiel Crowley hate train. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, Castiel's pretty invested in the world not ending. He is. So I feel like it makes sense for Castiel to be involved in the world not ending. Yes. And I, I feel like at this point they're not going to just ditch Crowley. So yeah. like, you know, we want some men loving men hostility here. Like, <laughs> Okay. I reckon next week is where Crowley works out why Dean's not floating back. <laughs> All right. I love this. I think that brings us to the end of the episode. And what a way to end. <laughs> Thank you so very much for listening this week. Hopefully you have had just as much fun listening as we have had recording. If you have not yet completed our survey about the Kripke era, including your thoughts about both Kripke era, the Blorbos involved, and also about our podcast, if you would be so kind as to go to the link that is in the episode description or the pinned post on our Tumblr or in our general Discord, it's everywhere that you could possibly want it. We would really, really love and adore if you could please fill that out. Going through the responses so far has been an absolute delight and it's given us a lot of good things to think about going into Gamble Era. So without further ado, if you would like to get in touch with us and have a chat, all of our links to all of our social medias are in the description below and some possible topics for conversation could include... Do you also love Crowley? Send us some Crowley love. We need that positivity in our lives. Mm -hmm. What was your favourite Crowley moment Mm -hmm. from this week's episode? There are a number to choose from. We didn't even cover all of them. Who would be the best person for this show to actually follow instead of the Winchesters? Oh, yeah. Like, in your opinion, who would be the best main character for Supernatural if Mm -hmm. it wasn't the Winchesters? Who have been your favourite demons? I think, personally, Crowley is my favourite demon that we get through the series, but there are a number of other contenders for that top spot. Even just within Kripke era, like Ruby's great, you know. Meg. Meg's iconic. Even Lilith is up there, you know, especially when she's the creepy little girl. So, like, if you have preferences, opinions on demons, particularly let's keep it to Kripke era so it's Jamie safe, Mm -hmm. let us know. Do you also wish that we got mentions of Brady earlier? Because it comes out of nowhere. It does kind of come out of nowhere. Or have there been mentions that we just don't know about? Oh, do you know what I would have slapped so fucking hard? Mm. Do you remember in, like, the very beginning of season one, there's that scene where Sam sees Jess standing on the corner. Mm. Imagine, like, I know you said earlier, like, oh, if Jess was the demon. Yeah. But imagine if in this episode, Jess was the CEO. Oh my god, that would have slapped so hard. Imagine, like, we don't get a face reveal until Dean walks yeah. into the office. We just see, like, from behind, like, the yeah. blonde hair. And then she turns around and she's like, oh, hi, Dean. It's been a while. Like, can you imagine imagine that oh my my god God. and then dean would immediately understand why crowley was like we can't bring sam we're not doing that that would have been iconic imagine if she had then said to sam like do you remember brady you know the one who set us up like literally list off all of the friends one of ours one of ours one of ours remember that professor that you love from like fucking zoology 101 and that's how you know what a fucking crocodile scale looks like (laughs) you know imagine imagine the impact and imagine like the audience would know yeah and then it would hit different that really could have been something anyway we are supposed to be ending the episode so thank you so much for listening bye (laughs) (laughs) i gotta forcibly stop myself otherwise i literally could go on for hours and hours and hours and hours and i don't as much as people have not really turned off our long episodes i think there's got to be a limit a limit does not exist one day we'll find it (laughs) a promise and a threat (laughs) 